Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. Well, that's precisely what we do, Danny. Indeed. <laughs> Nicely put. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Danny, you're a married gentleman, right? I am. And you and your wife, Ellie, you like to go out to eat? We do. How do you decide where to go? Do you guys have like a list? We have this places? elaborate wheel in our kitchen. Uh, that's what that tons wheel is. of names of restaurants yeah there's like 200 names yeah and it's a really big one it's yeah. probably bigger than the one that wheel of fortune uses bigger than wheel of fortune it costs a lot to install in our kitchen but it's a style of prices right yeah yeah so we just <laughs> if one of us is feeling like we want to go out we just take a big pull yeah on the wheel yeah you have the just, ladder because the wheel's so big you yeah climb exactly. to the top of the ladder 100%. grab it like a monkey bar and then kind of swing down yeah swing down and then fast. you let the inertia go around yeah. yeah and it takes takes about three minutes to fully stop spinning but it's worth it it's worth it because we feel like we're letting fate decide where we <laughs> eat rather than ourselves and fate is a better decider of where to go i think that's true you leave it to the but cosmos. yeah like what what pedestrian way do you decide where to eat shannon <laughs> Uh, it's usually a long conversation where yeah. we're throwing out ideas. Um, actually, we always like we if get pranked if it's because a less than three minute conversation, then it's more efficient than our wheel. But if right. it takes you more than three minutes, it's less efficient than our wheel. Unfortunately, I don't believe we have the funds to uh, fabricate such an elaborate wheel. So yeah, I mean, we have to swap out names of places that go in and out of business too. Right, right. Um, it's a logistical nightmare, to be honest. I would imagine it's not easy. Uh, no, we like, it, it's frustrating when we finally decide on a place after like kind of debating for half an hour or so. And like the, the one place that always pranks us is Irazu, the Costa Rican place on Milwaukee. Like we'll always decide to go there because we both love it. And then it's like, they have weird days off. Like they're closed oh, Sunday, yeah. Monday, Tuesday. This actually brings up something kind of funny. Um, past guest of the pod, Rob Lapata. For sure. Persona non grata, Rob Lapata. <laughs> yeah, um, he was in town briefly recently, and he made the the trek south to La Chaparita, and it happened to be a Thursday. Must have been a Thursday. And he didn't quite put it together, and so he called uh, he called his partner Christina Trixie, and was like, "Chaparita's gone out of business. Like this is awful." Blah 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 blah. And then she reminded him calmly that it was a Thursday. So he got pranked like we get pranked. We, we've we been pranked several times. Yeah, to that's a great. Yeah. I mean, Thursday you never think of as a day that a place is going to be closed. Yeah, because isn't that the famous day of the week for tacos? Taco Thursday, isn't that what they say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, one place, though, if we do, if I do need a shortcut yeah. and I need to cut through the fat and get make a decision, I always throw out Shaw's because Shannon and I both love it. And yeah, I know that so Shannon's great. always down to go. We also love it. And yeah. it's just... It's a great place to sit at the bar, great seafood, good cocktails, good vibe. Absolutely. And it's pretty convenient that you bring that up. (laughs) Pretty relevant to this week's episode since we have RJ Melman in the studio with us. That's right. President of Let Us Entertain You. And uh, we are very excited to speak with him, learn about his story, and uh, hear his insight. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very good uh, conversation, and it was fun to kind of pick his brain on how a restaurant group of that size operates and, ma- and manages to maintain a high level of quality and success. Absolutely. So without further ado, here's our conversation with RJ Melman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I also consider. <laughs> All right, RJ, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Bright and early today. I know that's right. Yeah, it is uh, for the listener. It's four a.m. Still dark out. <laughs> we do have coffee. Yeah. So you have an opening today. We are. We are opening uh, the new restaurant or the new hotel. The St. Regis is opening here. Okay. Um, and it's an amazing building. I don't, I don't know if you know the history of it, but uh, largest or tallest building ever designed by a female architect, Jeannie mm. Gang. Oh, cool. It's about 101 stories. There's 400 condos in the building, uh, 200-ish hotel rooms, and uh, we are doing the F&B for the whole building, so it's pretty cool. Wow. Only one of our two restaurants is opening today, okay. uh, which is Miru. It's a Japanese restaurant um, led by a couple of my partners, Naoki Nakashima and Osaka Hisanobu. Okay. Hisanobu Osaka. Um, and, uh, you know, an upscale Japanese restaurant, beautiful terraces, you can oversee the location's amazing it's right on east lakeshore so you're staring at the ferris wheel of navy pier and you get the fireworks on saturdays and wednesdays so pretty special in the hotel i think came out spectacular it is the newest luxury hotel in the city of chicago in like 10 years i think since hmm. langham opened so wow it's a, it's truly an impressive building yeah i did the architecture tour last summer which I do recommend even for locals. It's very good. I've done it multiple times, and it's good every time. And they spent like a full five minutes talking about St. Regis. It's a very anticipated opening. Yeah. So when will the full F&B for the whole hotel be so, active? So we're doing a second restaurant with uh, a gentleman that you probably know, Evan Funky, okay. who uh, has several restaurants in L.A., Mother Wolf and oh, yeah. Felix. Okay. He just opened his own place, Funky, as well. And we're doing a Tuscan steakhouse with him called Tradita. And I would guess that opens in October or November. I don't have the exact dates yet. And that's when, like, room service and all that stuff. We're doing room service today. That's okay. coming out of the Japanese restaurant, although it's an American you know, I said that's, service. That menu. was my curiosity. Yeah. Okay, um, cool. Miru is the breakfast, lunch, dinner restaurant, so you can go there all the time. It's 24-hour room service. Uh, banquets have started already and conferences. Wow. And uh, So, yeah, it's a big undertaking. Can you walk us through how the St. Regis determines or how you determine what kind of concepts to put in St. Regis? Yeah, we, um, when Magellan Development, who's actually the developer of the building, uh, came to us and said, we have this opportunity, here are our spaces. There's a second floor space, an 11th floor space. We would like you to do the F&B, uh, but they had no direction of what we wanted to do. I, I think how we work, and we're always working on new concepts, is that we had um, three or four things or five things that we had wanted to do and that we started looking for locations for. This more upscale Japanese restaurant was something we were looking actively for locations. You know, not, uh, I wasn't going out five times a day to look for real estate, but we were opportunistically looking for locations that we thought it might work in, neighborhoods we might work in. And this sort of sunk, synced up with what we were doing when we, um, toward the space. I mean, the, the building is, like I said, extremely impressive. Yeah. Third third tallest building in Chicago. So, Cool. And then that led to design meetings and, you know, a, a negotiation with St. Regis and make sure they're on board with what we do. They have a lot of, uh, you know, St. Regis is owned by Marriott, so they have a lot of layers, uh, but they're super wonderful to deal with. But, you know, you're also living within their house. Yeah. So um, you have to 
and, and, and not a real surprise. Their job is to take care of their own guests. So, yeah. And is there any point at which they would say like, you know what? We just really wanted a barbecue restaurant. And you're like, uh, <laughs> I think there was a, there could have been a point where we disagreed on what the concept is and we might not have gotten together. Okay. Um, but we also understood the guests that staying at the hotel. We understand what is needed in the surrounding neighborhood, what can make it work. And this was, like I said, a restaurant we would have done, whether it was in this location or, or somewhere not, else. Yeah. Um, and it might have shaped itself a little bit differently. Um, you know, we probably wouldn't be doing breakfast but uh, <laughs> at, <laughs> at said restaurant. But, no, I, but, you know, the, the hotel definitely frames some stuff and things that we need to do. Maybe it makes... Um, some china plateware decisions uniform decisions um i know about the uniform decisions yes. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day this was the core of our idea of what we were looking for a spot to do yeah that's and very that's cool that it, it works out it was like a yeah. symbiotic relationship but that's most if we're looking to do that barbecue restaurant like you said and yeah you, but you have a box that's uh, and you you know you want four thousand square feet of heavy timber building and bow truss and you want it to look like this old place and you're showing a brand new concrete building that's 6,000 feet, you know, it's like really easy to dismiss and say, this doesn't fit into what I'm looking for. Yeah. And it really helps that we almost always are concepting before looking for locations. Right. You have a lot of concepts Concept that go. we want to do. What well, Ready to go is relative, but like this idea file, we're cooking for it. And then we start looking and that really helps when you know you need 4,000 square feet, not 25,000 square feet you know, your, your search gets a lot narrower. And how often does it come, you know, relative skeleton concept first, or is it chef collaboration first? Like the chef out of LA that you just mentioned, Evan, Evan. It, well, we've been working with Evan for a long time, so okay. it wasn't just out of, out of nowhere. Um, we'll say that it always starts with food. And that is true. Like, even if we wanted have this idea for a barbecue restaurant, this hypothetical barbecue restaurant, <laughs> we will start cooking that food somewhere, whether it's in our test kitchen, whether that's out of another restaurant, and say, hey, are we getting excited about this? That's like what kind of snowballs the excitement. Yeah. Then you start to you know, do our version of Pinterest boards, our menu ideas, graphic design, name, thoughts, you know, every step that goes into creating something. And new. that's usually before the chef comes on board. It could No, it could be in conjunction with that. Okay, got yeah. it. There's no... It helps to have a chef that's passionate about it. If we had a chef that said, I am so passionate about barbecue, I want to do a barbecue restaurant, like that makes it a lot easier for sure. Yeah. This is my dream to do this. Yeah. Um, and let me show you what I'm thinking. But yeah. we all kind of speak to each other through taste. Right? Yeah, for sure. That, uh, And I don't cook for a living, but it's the easiest way to communicate what we're working on is like, even if we're going to another city, traveling with a chef, traveling with a, a partner and saying, this is what I like, you know, isn't that like such a, you can describe it all day long. I like an artichoke, but I want it grilled. I want it. But like, <laughs> you until you eat it, it, it's like, this is, it makes so much more sense when you can see it together. So I love traveling with the teams too. Yeah, for sure. Because we get to, it, the ability to have dinners together or meals together is really, really helpful in, in communicating with each other. So you just came back from a very brief trip to Thailand for what I assume is a research trip. Is that what, What's that trip look like, and how do you guys put together your itineraries, and, and what's the objective when you're... The obje yeah. Um, you know, when you're traveling, you're looking for, I'd say, food inspiration, which, and maybe restaurant style, and, and, and then design. 
Okay. So do you, have, do you have these spots kind of planned out before you yeah, go? Yeah, I mean, we have local... experts locally. Like, yeah. okay. I, I would treat Bangkok no differently than Sydney, than no differently than London, which is like, where should we go? You know, you mm-hmm. know, you may, might know a local there. You're reading the food guides. You're kind of doing some pre-research about what you're going to look for. And then leaving a lot of time for exploration as well, because you never know. You're on one street and you're like, there's four cool stores that you'd never heard of and you end mm-hmm. up going to them. How many people are on this trip? Uh, this one was uh, six people. Is it always the same six? Or No, 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 no. Okay. Um, different projects. Went to London earlier in the year uh, and Paris with two of our chefs, chef partners, um, and a director of operations. Um, um, we're working on, I, this has been announced, so we're working on a private membership club with uh, the Tao Group out of New York. And the two chefs who are working on the project and the director of ops for it went to London. I said they had never been to a, a London private club. I said, well, we need to go see them so you understand. I had been to the Annabelles, the Five H's. Uh, those are the famous clubs there and arts club. And I said, like, we'll get in. We'll have meals there. Even just walking them, I think, changes their... If you don't understand what it is, then it's it's really hard. It's yeah, really hard for, sure. for me to explain it. For okay, sure. I was going to say, just how, like how the artichoke example, you <laughs> yeah. got to be like, yeah. this is the thing. If you I said you just, like, yeah. they're like, yeah, we understand a private club. I'm a member of East Bank Club. And that's not... It's not the same. It's not the same. So what does a social club in London look like? And then understanding that we're not building a club in London. We're building a club in the United States. Right. So what of what happens in London works there? What happens... How do you localize that? Yeah, put yeah. a Chicago spin on it. Do Jared and Molly ever get jealous that you get to go on certain trips? They get to go, too. Yeah. Yeah. They're well <laughs> It's a family They are all well-traveled. <laughs> I know, but on this particular trip, did they come with you? Uh, Jared went to Thailand. Okay, so. cool. He actually went on the longer portion of the trip. They went to Australia as well. So. Oh, nice. He took, the, he took the team. I was only on it for two days. They were gone for a little over a week. How do you fight that jet lag? I didn't even adjust. I was only there for two days, so I <laughs> just, just always pretended <laughs> I was... <laughs> Pretend you know those international awake. flights are, <laughs> everyone's like oh man i can't believe you flew you know it's like it's basically to get to thailand it's 24 hours and yeah. uh i i don't mind the long international flights because i i don't get too many times in my day where i don't get a phone call for a day yeah, or a, you enjoy the peace i i slept quite well on those planes <laughs> <laughs> So let's do a brief history on the company. So mm-hmm. you started in 1971 with R.J. Grunts. Oh, my dad opens uh, a restaurant with his best friend in 1971. Yeah. Uh, to say it started as a company, I think, right, is right. A, a, a gross <laughs> overstatement. Of, sure. Of so I, I assume it wasn't the idea to build this empire back then. It was just let's... No, if you ask my dad, he would say he was a poor student. He dropped out of college. He was working for my grandfather, who owned a deli. Hmm. Um, Where was the deli? Uh, there was a couple locations, but one was on Belmont. Okay, so downtown. Downtown, and then uh, eventually it made its way to Skokie. Okay. I, it was never a, a gigantic business. Yeah. But um, it was called Mr. Ricky's. And um, my dad's working for him. My grandfather uh, and his, his, it was the two brothers were partners, uh, grandfather and, and his brother. And my dad said, can I buy into the business? He saved a little money. And my grandfather and my great uncle said, you're uh, too young and immature, and we don't want you to be our partner. (laughs) And uh, my dad kind of lost interest in the business after that and left, uh, you know, a fairly short time after that and met 
who became his best friend, a guy named Jerry Orzoff, who Jerry unfortunately passed away in 1981. Mm -hmm. But him and his best friend, and Jerry was a real estate uh, guy. He was a little bit older, I think served as a mentor to my dad, just in business probably more than it was in the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. And they put all their ideas together and opened RJ Grunts, which was a hamburger joint that's still there in Lincoln Park, for those who haven't been. And how did they connect initially? They met through a mutual friend. That was it. And they, I guess, hit it off. I don't think they hit it off the first time they met. Uh, you know, sometimes you just have to be in a place in your life to become friends with someone. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, but they became... Uh, it's like Tim and I. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one restaurant, and uh, it wasn't a giant success at first, but after a couple months, it catches on, and it becomes this, like, hot restaurant. And they was doing a lot of things different that probably don't don't think seem different today but you know i think restaurants then in the early 70s late 60s you know there was there was like diners and then there was like more formal dining where you where someone was a server and like there was not a place where people wore t-shirts to work and mm -hmm. um you know were casual and played loud music and so it was a little bit of ahead of its time if you think about what came out in 1971 and i know you wouldn't think of it today but Starbucks gets created in 1971, uh, R.J. Grunts, and then uh, Hard Rock Cafe, which was, huh. like I said, you won't look at Hard Rock Cafe and be like, oh, this place is amazing, but 1971 in London, you're like a rock and roll yeah. restaurant that is one, it's the hottest place in London. Mm -hmm. It's a cool time. So, I remember, so you guys had the uh, soup priced to the weather? Temperature which, soup. Yeah, yeah, temperature soup, which <laughs> still is on the menu, I guess, right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I, I know because my... Uh, if it's 82 out, the soup's 82 cents. If it's... Uh, yep, Shan stepped cool. in. So he's like, we got to go to RJ Grunt's, get that soup. When it's cold, he's yeah. like, we got to go to RJ Grunt's. It's <laughs> five cents today. Yeah, we right. never go long, lower than a penny. We don't, we don't pay you to eat it. Yeah, we don't mm -hmm. pay you to eat it. So one turns oh into two. You know, one a couple years later, they open a second restaurant. Two turns into three. By the end of the 70s, there's five or six restaurants. Um, now, I also learned while doing my yeah, research please. that um, Rich retired in 1972. Yes. <laughs> so Jerry had a premonition that he was going to die early, and it, it obviously oh, wow. ended up being true. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he was a leisurely guy. He liked to date and play tennis. I think that was his two favorite hobbies. Nice. Just and like Tim. <laughs> that is like and, me. Yeah. Uh, and he convinced my dad, let's move to LA and we're going to retire because they had made more money than they had planned on. They, I think my dad wanted to make 15000 a year and he made $30,000 out of the store or whatever. And he's like, this is great. I'm going to retire good. and let the store run itself. And yeah. he was there and he said, not only were there a bunch of problems at the restaurant, that's not a real surprise, but he also hated being retired. Yeah. <laughs> Did he like LA though? Uh, yeah, Jerry loved L.A., so yeah. I don't know if he loved it, but, yeah. I mean, it's a nice place to go. Yeah, Danny's yeah. an L.A. boy. That's right, from L.A. It's no accident he ended up here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the best weather in the world. It's beautiful out every day. Yeah. Today is like L.A. It is pretty sweet, yeah. <laughs> okay, so then, <clears throat> growing up in the family, did you take an interest? Like, were you and your siblings working at the restaurants? How did that, how did you start with the business? Yeah, I... Were you excited to be named after the first restaurant? Uh, my parents met there, so yeah, named after a restaurant. You know, it's, when people ask, that, I, I definitely get that response. Like, oh, it could be worse to be named after something. But, Did you, know. you grunt a lot as a baby? I did not. Oh, unfortunate. 
Um, oh, that's sad. <laughs> I think my dad did an amazing job of making work exciting. And so, you know, I'm born in 1979. It's a very, you know, very small company then, you know, like I said, five restaurants or so. Mm -hmm. In the 80s, a lot of, there's a lot of growth that happens in the 80s. And so I'm one, two years old and then going to all these amazing openings, you know, three, four, five, and getting to like really be around it. And I, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, my youth, the, the bulk of the decade of the 80s is super exciting cool projects yeah i saw in 1980 uh your dad was like one of the founders of taste of chicago mm -hmm. which is interesting i did not know that i think it was called chicago fest then okay and it was him and arnie morton from morton's and yeah a couple other people and they they created what the, then became the taste of chicago yeah well, that's cool so always an event to go to yeah you know like i said it just was fun when you get to go even by the time i was six or seven you realize that your dad isn't uh, like maybe a lot of the other parents and, you know, mm -hmm. a friend whose dad was a, you know, managed parking garages, another one, you know, they had, uh, maybe you'd call them more nine to five normal jobs. Mm -hmm. And it was clear, like my, my family's job or my dad's job was a lot different than, than everyone else, which, you know, certainly meant that he didn't make it to as many baseball games or those things. But there were so many exciting things going on. There was always creativity, always mm -hmm. creation. He'd be bringing home food samples. We'd be going to openings, um, meeting interesting people as a kid. So I, I loved my youth. Yeah. And, uh, it certainly made me interested in the business. And I think my parents did a great job of making the business interesting, by but also never pushing any of us to go into it. Yeah. At what point did you realize you wanted to go into it in earnest? I probably had inklings... I started cooking when I was 17. Okay. Um, took a prep cook job at a restaurant. I loved it. I worked in lettuce or not in lettuce? Uh, in a partnership, yeah, outside okay. of lettuce. But I, I worked in and out of lettuce. Well, I worked at Chili's in college. I worked up in Napa Valley at Mustard's Grill. Um, so it's hard to say, like, when you're 12 or 13, you're like, I'm going to do this. Like, yeah, that's, right. that's like a not like... A, it's hard when you're 25. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I either wanted to be, a, you know, an astronaut, a marine biologist, or a, a, yeah. or a, a professional baseball player. But that's it right. turns out I'm none of those. Um, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that those were the jobs. I loved the people. I loved being around. And... All through college, even though I did not go to college for a hospitality degree, I worked summers. I worked uh, one year. I worked during school um, at Chili's, and I just like knew I was going to do it. So by the time I was leaving college, I knew I wasn't going to go to law school. I wasn't going to mm -hmm. go to grad school. I knew I was done going to college, and I wanted to do this full time. Cool. Um, and I left college and I started cooking professionally for the first two and a half years or so out of college. So oh. I was about twenty-five. Where was that? I worked at one of our restaurants called Wildfire. Yeah. I said I worked outside the company in Napa Valley. I worked at a couple other restaurants in, in the company as well. And then oh, I'm 20, whatever, 24, 25. And I said, like, this is not what I want to do forever. I don't want to be the chef of lettuce or a chef of a restaurant. That is not my goal. And I transitioned to managing in the front of the house and started as a young manager and worked my way up. So, Were you, like... Were your siblings following a similar path, like, while this is happening? So I'm you... four years older than my brother. So okay. 
all of that happens while he's still in college. So right. he graduates college when I'm 26, right? So okay. I'm 20, yeah, I graduated when I'm 22. So I've had those experiences, like I said, before he was done. But when he got done with college, he also joined the business as a young manager with us. So. Did he, like, ask for your counsel? Like, was he kind of like, hey, trying to feel it out? Yeah, like, what's I think, it, how I think is we, it kind of thing? I think so. And I, no, he would be better to answer that than me. But he, I don't think he was 100% sold that he was going to go into the business, but said, I, if I'm going to have, we have, you know, there's access to a mentor that people would literally pay millions of dollars to <laughs> get consultation from. And I think Jared said, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to spend time with my dad in this industry, see if I like it. Turns out he's really good at it and, and really likes it. Um, and not waste time and go pursue something else. Yeah. And J- Jared also worked outside the company as well. He was yeah. at, was it in and out Burger? He worked at in and out in yeah. college. He Danny's worked up, favorite. He worked right. uh, for Danny Meyer's group for a short time in, yeah. in New York for Union Square. And for a company called Be Our Guest, also in New York. Hmm. I didn't know that. And then my sister, who's, who's six years younger than me, she went and actually became a teacher after college. She uh, did Teach for America. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where, which was her In city? New York. Uh, okay. She was doing it in the Bronx, and I, I give her so much credit for yeah, it's a tough... how tough it was. Mm-hmm. Two-hour commute to get to the school. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, but realized that that wasn't going to be what she wanted to do, and she came back. Right when we opened, my brother and I opened our first restaurant in 2008, which was Hub 51. Yep. And uh, Molly came back for that opening. She, I think, probably started with us like three or four days after we opened. <laughs> and we've been working together since. That's so cool. what are the current uh, positions? So I'm the president of the company, yep. oversee the, the whole company. Uh, Jared oversees a division of the company, which is... Uh, so the restaurants that we had created together, uh, Bub City, Three Dots and a Dash, RPM. RPM, all the RPMs, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, Hub 51, El Porcelino, Ramen-san, Sushi-san, those places. And Molly does training for a large swath of the company. So she takes on a, a trainer role and oversees the team of training team, but also making sure that uh, onboarding and training goes great for, for staffs the teams so for managers all the way down to correct dishwashers yeah cool and then what are the different divisions like i know there's events i've been up to the place on the north side that's kind of by the lake is that like a that's just an office oh like, like way I'm up like, north yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's our, our office like that's our, our corporate office is up there okay yeah in a nondescript building that used to be a restaurant in the 70s so <laughs> yeah we own the space but yeah yeah if, if you're looking for our headquarters, you will not find it. I definitely drove past it <clears throat> on my way there. And had to um, I think that's where we met with your dad once. Divisions are really by concept. We have yeah. about 12 divisions that are led by divisional heads. Um, it's not geographical because we, we have restaurants mm-hmm. in 12 or 13 states. So um, it's more about concept. So Yeah. And then there's how many restaurants total? About 120. Okay. And then within that there's like 50 or so brands yeah or okay. yeah i think that's about right i know that from our last meeting <laughs> <laughs> we're a confusing company we're not built like like most organizations so there's a lot of layers and there's a lot of autonomy um but there's a central core of our culture and how we work so it it it, it we're probably the most functional dysfunctional group ever i don't know it's, <laughs> it works yeah how do you determine how to you know, spend your tip. How do you determine where to put your focus? 
I'm working on the new a lot, but then you have to go back and fix. I mean, you know, there's, you try to give time to everyone. That clearly does not happen. Um, I haven't been to Minnesota this year where we have restaurants. Yeah. Um, but having, we have about 80 partners in the company, and partners are people who are overseeing brands either culinarily or operationally. Um, and I have a lot of trust in them, and, and we have an amazing group of partners that really care and own the restaurants they're part of. So it makes it a lot easier, I think, to have a high level of expectation in those places or a high level of execution. But a lot of my time is spent on new. You know, today, be at the St. Regis, been at the, we opened a place called the Oakville in the Fulton Market area. So I'd been there a lot. And then you're working on the things that we think need improvement. And it just doesn't end. I, I, I wish I had a great answer of where every yeah. one of my days takes me, but it, it is definitely different every day. Do you try to like set a schedule like I'm going to spend this much time away from work, this much time in work? I don't have hard and fast rules, but traveling is really important to me. Yeah. So both to see our markets, like where we're at, but I, I definitely feel like I see more new stuff when I'm out of town. You know, if I, if I go to L.A. where we have one little restaurant, maybe I'll spend 10 hours there over the course of three days. But I get to see 10 new restaurants in L.A. Right. So okay. I feel like I get more inspired when I'm on the road a little bit. So it's it's just good for me, and I, I love traveling. Um, but I don't have, like, a, a 30%, 70% rule or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you're talking about you have like 80 or so partners in restaurants. And like every time I get an email from somebody at Lettuce, I, there's like a new badge of a restaurant at the bottom. <laughs> like your uh, partner retention is really good. How do you guys, um, and everyone that we work is, with is very good at their job. How do you guys go about hiring? And then I guess what does it take to succeed within the company and stick around? It's a great question. Um, you know, hiring... Even the best people at hiring probably hit it 80% of the time. And it's not because someone's bad that you hired. It just might not be a fit culturally. Yeah. I had the pleasure of working basically for every divisional head in the company and as, I, as I was coming up. I got to work all these jobs for whatever, greater part of a decade. And you learned that you know, each restaurant has its own microculture. There are divisional microcultures. It's not like a huge surprise. It's just built by the person at the top or the people at the top of that brand or um, restaurant. And I worked at some places. I'm like, oh, this place is, it's, even though we're all the same company, like, oh, this place is more chaotic than this place. or this place is very serious. But I remember I was working in a place for a partner and, you know, I, I'm not going to say like I agree with all that he did to run the restaurant, but I remember a server who was a really, really great server came up. She goes, I will never work for another boss besides this guy. And it made me realize like there are people that self-sort, you know, someone wants to work in the army. Someone wants to work in the, you know, a place that's a little bit more chaotic and that's okay. Um, so you're hiring for the right job. And it, so that went back to even you might interview someone and love them, but they don't fit into 
mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah. They may go on to be like an incredible manager, employee, whatever, at some other restaurant group, some other job. But it doesn't mean it was a fit with what you have going on, what what you provided they needed. Mm-hmm. Molly and Jared do a tremendous amount of interviewing. I used to do a lot more, but they, they interview every front of house person that touches the restaurants in downtown Chicago. Oh, wow. And so they're probably doing 25, 30 interviews a week for positions. And I think after you do that so many times, you get better at it. What works, what doesn't work, what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, but then I think we're a lot of, you know, you ask about retention. So there's this culture of spending time interviewing, getting hopefully the right people in. We spend a lot of time training. Our management training program, whether you are a general manager that came in with a ton of experience and you worked at the Peninsula Hotel and you know everything about hospitality, it's three months long. Um, or if you're a, a person who just graduated college. The training is the same. It's because a lot of the training is about culture at our company, which is very strong. A lot of it is about the systems of the company, which are are pretty universal. And so you have this long ramp up of and, and dedication to training. Even we do that for servers. You know, if you're a new server, you might spend four or five, six days, depending on the restaurant, training before being uh, you know, let out into the wild and and given your own tables. Um, same thing for the back of house. I think when you give people the tools to learn, you have a lot more retention in general. And then internally, hopefully, we spend a lot of time making it a great place to work so people stay. There are opportunities to get promoted to a partner-level person. You know, uh, I think I would bet 15 of our partners or 20 of our partners have started with us as interns. Hmm. Oh, wow. So you know, I guess the lowest position to... To now. Hmm. That's cool. So there is a real path for growth here. And I hope, I think knowing this le- leads to a lot of longevity. And we're just really proud of people who have been around a long time. Yeah. It also is easier to have people around a long time when you've been around a long time. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. When you have restaurants that are open for 35 years, it's a lot easier, or, or 52 in our J-Grunts, to have people who have been there 40 years. We have a, a good number of people who have been there a long time. Wow. So how many restaurants have you personally been involved in the opening of it by now, do you think? I'm going to guess 30. 30. And if 35, maybe more. And if you had to strip, I know you've got various concepts within that. Um, I take it it's probably more than that. But yeah. yeah. So is there, if you could strip it down to a formula that works for you guys, what does every restaurant have? And when you're opening a concept, like what are the, what's at the top of your priority list? Before you get into branding, you know. I don't, I don't know if there's a formula, but we say that 80 to 90% of the success of a restaurant happens before it opens the door. Yeah. So proper space planning, proper design, proper kitchen layout. If you wanted to open a Chinese restaurant but forget to order walks, like, you know, you're going to have trouble. Um, <laughs> or didn't design the kitchen properly to do the business you need to do. We spend a lot of time vetting a project before we do it. You know, even if you showed me a space I love, we're still going to do a pro forma on that space to our best educated guess of what it's going to do. And we're really good at doing that, mm-hmm. mostly just through experience. We know yeah. how much cost to build is. We know, uh, and I'm not saying we're the most economical builders. We just, we kind of know ourselves. The layout's really important. You know, the difference between a couple tables, you, you could draw the same space with, 
20 tables, 25 tables, 22 tables, you know, depending on how you configure stuff. Well, those extra four tables might be the difference between making money and yeah. breaking even. And obviously making it right-sized for the kind of business we're doing, too. Mm-hmm. So all that planning, the right team, the right menu, is it exciting? Does it have enough for people who don't know? You know we'll go back to this barbecue restaurant. Is there... Uh, what happens if a vegan comes? What happens if, uh, you know, someone's gluten-free? And we try to think about those things and say, what is what is this person getting? Now, I don't think our barbecue restaurant's going to have a, a big influx of vegans, but do you want people to not come because of that? Do we have the right beer list? Or do we have the right thesis? Um, the clearer you can write what a restaurant is, is in, like, one sentence or two sentences, you know, the clearer the identity is. It's... This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. And you guys have done a good job of <clears throat> branching out into the suburbs around Chicago mm-hmm. for the same concept that exists downtown. Take Bub City, for example, or the one is in Schaumburg. Uh, Rosemont. Rosemont. Um, like, how, are those operating exactly the same, or how do you cater to a suburban No, you always clientele? have to localize something. Yeah. So um, what are some of those differences, I guess, or things that you've considered? Well, in general, in a suburban location, you actually have generally lower lower amounts of time to serve people. People go to bed earlier. Mm-hmm. So in Chicago, if you're busy at 4 o'clock because of happy hour and busy till 11 o'clock, maybe you're busy at 5 to 9. Okay. So sometimes we like to put in more seats in the suburban restaurants because you need to ser- serve the same number of people but over a shorter period of time. Interesting. Hmm. Um, and it, it's not a... I don't have an exact science to that. You learn those localized things... Like what works in the city doesn't always just work in the suburbs. What you yeah. think, what the most popular drink in in the city is not what's in the suburbs. Right. Sometimes, you know, you guys travel a lot, I think. But what you see happening in the coasts, uh, L.A., New York, sometimes is like two years ahead of what when it gets to Chicago. Yeah. It goes faster now, maybe because of social media. But um, mezcal fell in that category for me. It's like it's the you know it's on every drink menu in L.A. Three years ago, everyone's all about mezcal. And now I think you're just starting to see it really woven into major drink lists here. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it'll ever catch on. So the suburbs has that sort of effect, too, where stuff that works in the city may not always work there. Yeah. When we when we, you know, we started out as a menswear company, and we saw something similar where, like, Chicago is slower to adopt things, whereas, like, we were watching trends, you know, on the coast or, you know, maybe internationally, and we'd try some of these things, and, like, it just did not resonate with our Chicago clients. So you kind of have to, like... You, you do. It's very about. It's very much about the local market and what people's tastes are. And totally. it, there does seem to be. It, it's beneficial because you see what trends are coming, mm-hmm. but you have to time that right. 
yeah, you, you can't have too wild of an outfit that people say, like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Do you ever walk around town during, like, Lollapalooza week? And I try not to. No, but everyone, <laughs> but it, especially, like, people who work in the industry, I don't, I don't mean um, the 14, 15, 16-year-olds that are at the concert, but mm-hmm. if you see the bands, the... Oh, yeah. They all have a... They literally dress differently and than most Chicagoans on a daily basis. But they're probably predominantly coming from... London and New York. I mean, yeah. sorry, New York and Los Angeles. And you can just, like, tell, like, oh, you're here with Lollapalooza. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I can't describe it, but you yeah, see. stylistically. Stylistically, they're just like, you are not from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and they have, like, the publications or the newspapers would have um, photographers specifically documenting the style at some of those, like, Lollapalooza or Pitchfork, and they're showing yeah. what people are wearing because it is, it does stand out. Oh. So in terms of, like, doing your planning before the concepts open, making sure that everything's tight. What are some examples of, you know, a concept exceeding your expectations? And I guess the the flip side as well, like times that you thought this is concepts definitely going to work and then just completely underperforms and you have to figure it out. A lot of them have exceeded our expectations. I would assume most. I mean, given the success. It's it's always good to do better than your pro forma. (laughs) For sure. Um, you know, but yeah, times you were surprised, I guess, in either I mean, direction. RPM Italian, when we opened in ten years ago, is still a really busy restaurant. It was, it did double what we thought it was going to do. Yeah, um, and st- still does. Right, it's like crazy how how an upscale, stylish Italian restaurant resonated. You know, everyone at the time when we opened it was doing like really rustic red sauce we're like that's we want to do something that's like rooted in milan um meaning like the style the the yeah, elevated the, yeah. uh yeah more it, refined and it wasn't even like i took a trip to milan but it was like this idea of milan was like you yeah, know this isn't rome this isn't tuscany yeah. this isn't um and it amazingly resonated with people and that led to six other rpms i mean that that, that i'd say that did that ramen san the original one so outperformed what we thought it would do. It's amazing. At the same time, we opened a little sushi place in uh, Streeterville, right in the Northwestern Hospital called Mr. Maki, and it did horrible. So I, that was mm. what, it's long gone. Um, so you thought something would work, and it didn't. Yeah. Um, um, How quick do you determine? That one was quick. We turned that one, like, I think we closed it within three or four months. We just knew it oh, was wow. going to work. Yeah, I think... That's got to be beneficial to not be emotional about some something that's a, essentially a business decision. Like if this isn't working, we can reconcept it. So, <clears throat> or flip the space. When it's a when it's a success of any kind, it could be a single, double, triple, whatever, home run. <laughs> it is really easy to figure out what to do. When it is a when you, when you are when it's striking yeah. stri- strike out, yeah, it's actually easy to figure out what to do. When you're like meddling, middling along and doing okay, you're like, eh, if we can do two more thousand this week, that's when it gets hard because you don't know which way to go. Yeah. If we can just do four more tables, um, that gets a lot harder to figure out. I feel like you're... Because you're stuck. Mm-hmm. I think a strength of, of lettuce has to be the ability to pivot and having the resources to do so. Yeah, of course. I feel like... Sometimes, you know, 
we had a, a failed concept and I think what was difficult is like, yeah, you're, I guess our, we hadn't dealt with that before. So our instinct was to just like keep going till we succeeded with it and not realizing Cut like until losses. it was kind of too late. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, but I, I look back and I'm like, I wonder if we had, you know, had more resources or we would have been quicker to make that decision or some of them, you know. and some of the mistakes don't, don't, having experience of making mistakes makes it easier too. Yeah. Uh, some of the mistakes we made don't show up on day one. And I give, uh, we had a restaurant called Paris Club. Yeah. And it was the biggest restaurant we had done at the time. And it, was, I don't know, it was probably 320 seats or so. It was huge. And then you realize that the appetite for French food, I mean, it was a hot restaurant. It won Esquire's Best New Restaurants in America. We had this crazy nightclub called Studio Paris Upstairs. We probably created our own confusion by calling the restaurant <laughs> Paris Club and the nightclub Studio Paris. So that, that had its own issues identity-wise. Started out as hot as can be, and then it just goes down and down and down after the first few years. And I love when people ask, why did you close? And the, the answer is like we were too busy, yeah. and uh, we were just doing too much business, yeah. <laughs> and we just couldn't handle it. Yeah, yeah, it was too yeah. successful. We just yeah. we hit all our goals, and now we don't. We didn't know what to do. <laughs> we're, we're bored. Yeah. <laughs> the money was too easy. Yeah, you're like that's we that's, wanted a that, challenge. That is not why we closed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I and I, I surprisingly get that question a lot. Yeah. Like it was it was literally too busy. Couldn't couldn't, couldn't couldn't. We ran out of places to. Put with the money yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but you know we saw the writing on the wall and it was it started to go down and down and down the nightclub continued to do great you realize like just like what is the appetite for that kind of food and over time it was you know did they need 300 seats i believe if we have done the same concept in 150 seats i think we could be would be open today yeah, yeah, because it would have been ultimately right size for it, and we we have a history of doing that a couple of times where we build things a little actually too big. That's one of the disadvantages of having being well capitalized and doing stuff. You're like, yeah. oh, let's do it a little bit bigger so we can make X dollars on the top line. You know, when you do that, but um, you know, if we opened a Robinson and made it 200 seats, it won't work. You know, yeah. it needs to be small. Yeah, it, that's what works about about it. And um, we are equally victim to that mistake. So when you, when you, like I said, you might have the right idea, but just the wrong execution of that idea. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. And let's say you have an idea for something, whether it's a concept or something within a concept, and you feel very strongly that it should be this way. What happens when you know, Jared, Molly, whoever else you're working with is like, I really don't think that's, that's Oh, we battle it out. I mean, at Miru, I had a, I, I think I have a pretty clear vision of what I want to do. 
uh, my dad, who's still involved, um, didn't necessarily see it all the way. Then I, we did some travel, and I showed him. I'm like, these are places that I think are comparable. We don't, you know, we don't have to do the exact same items. It's just more like this is. Yeah. Uh, but how do the disputes get settled? I guess is there a system there for is it? A, there's not a because we're family. It gets settled eventually, and it's about passion and talking about it. And you know, it's about how you approach. Uh, said situation and what you th- think about it and, and articulating your point of view, why this works and why it doesn't. And, you know, the best decisions happen when we all agree. I mean, I, the best outcomes happen when we all agree. If we all love something, I, I feel very confident. If it's two out of three, it's a little bit, you know. Dicey. Dicey. But it usually works itself works itself out. We're, I, I have really mature brother and sister. Um, and arguments uh, happen all the time, but they also get settled in a healthy way. Yeah, that's good. So <clears throat> given your success and track record and visibility, I would assume a ton of projects come your way. Mm-hmm. What are some weird out-of-the-box things you guys have been approached <laughs> to where you're like, nah, I don't think so? That's a good question. Um <laughs> So we like to create and run our own restaurants. Yeah. I think sometimes we get approached by people who say, I want to create this. I want to do a, um, a new version of Top Golf. I'm, I'm kind of using it as an example if you know what Top Golf is. Yeah. Like, I want you to run them. I'm like, but that's not what we do. We don't just run Top Golfs across the country. Yeah. We could do oh, the F and B. Yeah, but I'm not, but I don't even want to do that. Like, yeah, it's not right. that. I don't love golf. I don't want to do that. I don't want to open stuff all over the country because. So a lot of times people think of us as just like a growth vehicle for their idea. Mm-hmm. That might be more niche, and that stuff is is usually pretty uninteresting. And those meetings always start with, I need you to sign this NDA because we've got the <laughs> next big thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't think of anything like off the top of my head exactly that you know, was bad. But like I said, they they asked us to do something that we just don't want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to – we don't want to be franchisees of something. We don't want to be growing something that we don't have control over. In general, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think those approaches are usually the ones that fall flat with us. Yeah, and then clearly you get you get like very funny reach outs. I want uh, and not funny. They're they're it's so, it's so flattering because it's <laughs> like when a mayor of like a small town is like, I was recently in Chicago, and I loved RPM steak. Would you consider moving one to you know this little small town? I'm like. That's not on our roadmap, but <laughs> but it's so flattering that they love the restaurant enough to write you an email or write yeah, you a yeah. write you a card and say like, would you come to my small town in Kentucky or Florida and do this? And you're like, That's, yeah. Um, how do you say? Like I said, it's just it's really flattering when someone reaches out and, mm-hmm. and does that. But those are are usually pretty easy decisions not to do. Uh, one last question: What? Uh, how would you say your style of management differs from your dad? And is that do you chalk that up to a generational thing, or do you think that he's informed kind of the way you've um, yeah. proceeded as a business? I mean, man? he's an amazing leader and an yeah. amazing coach. And I hope I have um, 90, 80% of the skills that he has. I mean, he's, uh, he's unbelievably psychological. 
Um, I, I think like everyone, you're going to approach situations differently. We will never see things exactly the same way, mm-hmm. but I do think deep down our culture of how we want to take care of people who work within the organization and have success for all those people in the organization is the same. So I can't, I, I definitely don't view the world the same as him, but I don't yeah. think that's possible. And I don't want to be a facsimile of him, you know, and yeah. that's not a goal either. Yeah. In so. the meetings I've had with Rich, he's, I've always been struck by how imaginative he is. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's a level of performativity. Like I remember he was telling me a story about when uh, they opened Baba Reba mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking uniforms, I probably for one of the RPMs with him. And, um, and he was like, you know, when we opened our uh, Baba Reba, I told the kids, just go to the costume shop and find the most colorful jacket you could find and wear that to work. And, and he was always the kids, you know, send them out to the costume shop. And, and it, it, it even, even in like your logo and stuff, there's like a playfulness. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's cool. Yeah. And the, it probably had to do with, there was probably a time in the nineties where the company became less playful. And I hope that Molly, Jared and I, and a bunch of other partners, so I don't want to just take credit mm-hmm. for us, but as that generation of people came out, um, cause we have multiple generations working within the organization that brought some of that playfulness back. Um, and it will ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. We'll do, um, you know, there's going to be times to do serious, but we say something pretty simple to almost everyone who works for us, which is at work, you have to have two things. You have to make money and have fun. And if you're not doing both, it's, uh, it's really hard to enjoy it. So, yeah. And so that it ultimately turned us to, into us doing those white jackets for mm-hmm. the RPM things. And I remember we were, I was meeting at stake and it was right before opening, I think. And, um, there were, you guys were like changing a wall last minute. So there's something torn up and Rich was there and we were showing Jared the jacket. We're like, you know, here's our prototype. These are in production. They're going to be ready just in time for the opening. And Rich walks over and goes, what's this? And I go, oh, this is the, uh, this is the new <laughs> server jacket. He goes, I hate it. He's like, it's not your fault. He's like, I know it's what we asked for. He's like, I'll pay you for them, but we got to change them. And then and he just walked away and I'm like, oh my God, we don't have time. We guys, you guys are opening in like two weeks. And, and then we used them, didn't we? Yeah. And, and you, you know, eight or 10 years later, you guys still use the same yes, jacket. Exactly. But I remember, I remember, I remember I was like, like my heart sank and Jared was just like, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's one of those healthy debates where he may not have saw, has, had not seen what we were talking about. Yeah. He wasn't part of the process right. to get to the jacket necessarily. So he was like shocked. And remember, he's the founder of the company and it's his. Yeah. And, uh. He has a right to jump in and out of a conversation at his own leisure. And sometimes that's disruptive to the vendors <laughs> yeah. who, who walk off the job. Yeah, um, yeah. Anytime they're like, well, Rich just saw the uniforms, I would get immediately nervous. I was like shell-shocked from that. But it, it always he loved out. them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I live to see another day. All, All right. right. You want to hit him with the uh, Yeah, let's get to round. the gratuity round. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Bronca USA. Question, Danny. What's your question, Tim? My question is, what is in Fernet Bronca? What are the ingredients? It's mm, a tough question right there. <laughs> it's a 170-year-old recipe, and it is a closely guarded family secret. Okay. There are 27 distinct components to the recipe, various herbs, botanicals, and spices, and I don't know all of them. Do you know some of them? You know, I do know some of them. Okay. We know there's aloe, gentian, chamomile, angelica, chincona, colombo root, iris, saffron, peppermint, myrrh, and Chinese rhubarb. 
Okay. But if you want to find out all of the ingredients, you're going to have to go to one person. There's one person who knows? That's right. Count Bronca. Count Bronca. That's a real person. You can That's a confirm. real person. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we got to get him on the pod. I guess so. All right. Well, back to the pod. All right, all right cool. RJ, what is your death row meal? Oh, man. Some, some buffalo wings from Buffalo Joe's. I might want something from RJ Grunts, maybe a chicken wrap. I, I'm just going to go ham. You yeah. Know, this is like Buffalo a, Joe's in Evanston? Yeah. I, I just met a guy actually through golf. Uh, his fiance's dad or what owns Buffalo Joe. He's Buffalo Joe. I didn't even know there was an owner. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I just assumed it's it was outstanding. A, an yeah. employee run uh, business. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know a guy that knows um, Buffalo Joe. I think those two things would be good. I would, yeah, I, I crave those. I, I crave really simple food, you know, great burger. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what I would, I hope I don't end up on death row. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to plan this one. Do you have a favorite burger? I love the ones at Grunts. Yeah. Um, I'd have a milk, an Oreo milkshake from somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Oreo milkshake. I'm gonna up go. On my list yeah, I'm just gonna high. go. Like I said. Yeah. It's yeah, just like no hold yeah, 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 I'm just going. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it that had like 30 items? Oh, that uh, was Brian hilarious. Jupiter, maybe. Someone, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Does anyone ever like? I'll just have a salad. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but someone actually cleverly, uh, I think it was Eve from Funeral Potatoes, who yeah. had two different items that are only available at two different times of the oh. year, so they'd have to delay the execution. Yeah, never, yeah, never yeah. put down. Exactly. All right, what is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Something that flies under the radar. In town or out of town? It doesn't matter. Anywhere. I used to live in Minneapolis, and uh, there was a little bar called the Monte Carlo. I know the Monte Carlo, the fried ch- chicken, yeah. right? It was like a little tiny, like jazzy bar. Kind yeah, of, and it, it was right by our house, so I loved it. And they had what I liked about it is they had pumpernickel bread for the sandwiches, and I I just love pumpernickel bread. So they had like yeah. a roast beef sandwich on pumpernickel, and I loved. It was a little joint. We'd go there all the time. Yeah, I think I probably had two meals in Minneapolis, and that was one of them. This one's not a hidden gem because everyone knows about it, but um, but just kind of a there's random. a restaurant called Lotus of Siam in, in Las Vegas. Oh so yeah, so good. That's yeah. incredible. I've it's been. off strip, so yeah. not everyone knows about it. But it's that's so like a, a, I think it's incredible for thai food yeah it is um, yeah agreed that yeah that's one where Co-sign. so it's hard go, to describe you as a your way gen, to get there gym yeah. gem because they're on a weight all the time yeah yeah um that's a good pick yeah good answers all right what's your favorite fast food so i have a two and a half year old son and he loves chipotle so we we go there often. Mm-hmm. He wants the white soup, which is the sour cream. He eats like soup, <laughs> um, which is just amazing. Um, uh, I, I like Jimmy John's. I actually yeah. I, I crave Jimmy John's. I do too. Um, I, I like it better though. than Jersey Mike's, and I like it better than Subway. Yeah, agreed. Um, Jersey Mike's has other stuff that's better, but I I like the Italian sandwiches. At, yeah, at I like Jimmy the bread. John's. I like yeah, I, the bread. I really, really do good. like Jimmy John's. Um, Got to get the cherry pepper. I was on there. the board of a company called Del Taco. About it's yeah. a West Coast yeah. taco. Yeah, there's one Del right Taco right. about freeway pepper. exit growing yeah. up. I, and I had not grown up eating it, but because when I was on the board, I was eating the food all the time whenever we had it. And I, I really started to love love it, and I like it. Yeah, they're probably a little step ahead of uh, Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. What's your order at Del Taco? Oh, there was like a burrito I really liked, a chicken burrito, and 
just a regular soft taco. Cool. Just, for me, is easy, but I like I definitely like those. In and out is a you know that's a home that's a favorite for yeah. everyone. It's yeah. not my. I, I, you know, I really like his Culver's. There we <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> I love Culver's. Yeah, that's I'm, Tim's favorite. Makes me very happy yeah. to hear that. It's been an <laughs> age-old debate between Danny and I. Yeah. I am a Culver's guy. I'm he is an In-N-Out guy. guy yeah. Culver's is outstanding. I, I and they're like, both of them do things that I think are really special, which is like the stores are immaculate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The service is great at both places. Culver's um, is always like very polite teenagers. Correct, but I think that's true of In and Out for the yeah. most part. Yeah, and uh, you know they just both have these cultures of mm-hmm. service. Uh, Culver's has a way bigger menu mm-hmm. than yeah. In and Out. Yeah, In and Out yeah. has three items on the menu. Yeah. Um. But I think they're both like just exceptional versions of of fast food. Yeah, totally Agreed. dialed in. I was at Culver's last night. He sure was. Damn. And then my last one is: in, does it count as fast food? But Portillo's. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, count. They're, yeah, they're for standing sure. too. They got a drive through. I think it's kind of yeah. it's fastish. Yeah, and what's your order there? Uh, I like a combo beef. Yeah, yeah, combo. So pro, good. pro move. Mm-hmm. No spicy though. I like the sweet peppers. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite lettuce restaurant to eat at? Mm. Ironically, my wife is a vegetarian, but we eat at RPM Steak the most because she likes the vegetables there and all the sides mm. <laughs> and the salads. So I would say we eat there the most. I do like it a lot. I, I was saying before, I'm a simple eater. I love sitting in the bar at Shaw's. You're asking yeah, me to Char- like pick, pick Shaw's, Shaw's is my so number one. I agree. But you're yeah. asking me to like pick my children, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely like William more than Sloan. Um, <laughs> Whoever's getting the white soup is the yeah. favorite for sure. <laughs> William. Yeah. Um, but the Shaw's Oyster Bar, I love sitting in. I think uh, it's yeah. one of my favorite bars. I was Are Happy Hour Oysters side. back yet? I think so. Okay, because there was a time that I went and they're like, yeah, it's the pandemic. We're not doing them. And no discounts. It, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then, they, but it came back. I think so. I think they're back. All right, great. Not That's 100% good news. On that, but I can <laughs> when I go there, I'll be like, RJ says, give me the happy hour pricing for these oysters. <laughs> um, but, you know, the cool thing about my job is that I fall in love with little things at the restaurants. When I go back, to, you know, there could be a time where I don't go to Wildfire in Glenview, for instance. You know, I might go once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember sitting in there and I was like, oh, it's such a nice place to sit in the bar. I love it. I like this one dish and it's like you fall in love with little things about the restaurants again which is a cool one of the benefits of not being stationed in one restaurant is that i can come in almost as an outsider or as a guest yeah and kind of look at it through guest eyes as opposed to manager's eyes you know when you're in a building 10 hours a day 12 hours a day as five days a week like you sometimes lose sight of what a guest is feeling yeah you know the best best advice i could give to people is like Walk outside for five minutes and come back in. Is, is the lighting too bright? Is the music too loud, too quiet? Like, what does it feel like when you walk in? Because mm-hmm. I get to walk in like that. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't. Yeah. Who work there. Um, do you have a most memorable meal? Something, whether it's the company you're with, the um, oh, the location. Yeah, I had. stands out? My memory's not that good, but I so I can. I was in Paris uh, last uh, in February, and I went to and I've been there before. There is a seafood restaurant called Le Duc, L E D U C. It's been around for probably sixty years, and the owner is a guy named Dominique, who is the second generation, um, and it is it is not cheap, 
but it is not um, is not fussy. It is like the best Dover sole you've ever had. Very simple cooking. Uh, very French, almost all exclusively seafood. I'm not even sure there's a meat dish on the menu. Mm. And the meal was so good. Um, top to bottom, like, you know, whatever, we had 10 things between us. It was it was so memorable. Um, every course, they do like a calamari with garlic, uh, uh, langoustines with just butter and ginger. It was like, I, I mean, I remember every course we had. And it wasn't even coarse; like it's it's casual. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's expensive but casual, mm-hmm. um, and just beautiful um, Chardonnay, what, Burgundy, with it. It was just a great meal, and, and Dominique sat with us, so you know, just hearing him cool. talk about how the place the place is like forty seats. It's tiny. I don't even think they try to be busy. It's like the place that should have a Michelin star but doesn't even want one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm like, who are your best regulars to Dominique? He's like, oh, it's, uh, Bernard Arnault, you know, the guy who owns Louis Vuitton, LVMH, <laughs> richest man in the world or second richest man. He's like, yeah, he's here three times a week, you know. And but, but but he's also wearing jeans, like, which is rare for what is an upscale restaurant. Like, mm-hmm. Dominique was wearing jeans, not just like, uh, um, you know, he's for the owner for, of LVMH, probably. He's probably he's probably well dressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, the prime minister was in last week, you know. And and but like, there's no, there's two servers. Three cooks, like the place is so simple. The best salted butter I've ever had. I'm like, where do you get this? He's like, we have a special farm in Normandy. We get this from like, just so much care to every little piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we should bleep this whole section out so that it stays kind of under the radar. No, you, everyone <laughs> needs to go to this place because yeah. Le Duc is like Our, uh, maybe the viewership. best restaurant in Paris that not a lot of people go to. Hmm. That's great. It's a that really a great one. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite cocktail? I'm not a big drinker. Okay. So you need to know that. Um, I will drink a glass of wine. I like French reds, French whites. Um, maybe just I like that style. But, uh, I mean, I would definitely love and crush a frozen margarita once in a while. Okay. Right, cool. But like a real frozen margarita, not a fancy yeah. one. Like one with oh, okay. with bad mix. Oh, like and, sour mix. Oh, yeah, oh, sour yeah. mix. And yeah. right out of the machine, salt on the rim. You yeah. know, the kind you get in Cancun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah delicious. Yeah. Yard long. I, you know, the worst tequila possible. Yeah, of course. Uh, is there an unexpected trivia category that you would dominate? I think I'm pretty good at um, uh, world history and uh, mm. politics. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I, I don't know about dominate. I, I'm actually pretty good at sports trivia, too. So okay. A specific okay. era or sport? Yeah, I'd, I'd do pretty well at baseball, I think. And yeah, some other I like that you said your memory's not great, but you know a lot of history. Yes, <laughs> yes thank you. I'm a walking contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, to what do you attribute I, your I, success? Pop culture, I would do well at. Pop culture, right, okay. Yes. That's a good one. Good to have you on our team. Yeah, for, seems for, like the, it. for the pinks. For the pink. Is that the pink? <laughs> yeah. A trivial pursuit? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm like, give me a literature, uh-uh, but pop culture, I'm okay. All right, yeah. cool. If we land on blue, I'm, we're screwed. <laughs> uh, to what do you attribute your success? Uh, my parents, my siblings. Uh, I like what I do, so that makes it easier, too. Yeah. I have a random question to sneak oh, in. Sorry. Sure. Brief question. Uh, you know, with the advent of social media, or I guess it's just increased importance over time, has that affected anything in lettuce? Like, did you create a division that handles social media separately? We definitely have social media. I mean, we have a position, social media manager, that didn't exist 10 years ago, right? Okay, like got that. it. Or 
you know, marketing manager. And they coordinate The marketing manager store. has, yes. And we have multiple of those people uh, yeah. working around. Um, yeah. It's, uh, so it's, it's like a, whole, a tiny... It's a whole role that didn't yeah. exist. Exactly. All right, cool. Um, that's good to know. I think that's something you know, that's hard. And that, you know, it's one of the advantages of being a big company. You think about being a one-off restaurant or a, a small group. It's like we have infrastructure, good or bad, to handle a lot of those things. But you think about there's so many ways people can reach you now yeah yeah they write you on instagram they write you on twitter they write you on whatever and it's like you're it's exhausting to respond you know if you're a person doing that or if you're a small business owner doing that um so you know i don't think there's always positives of these things there yeah yeah um, the amazing about social media is that you can see the world a lot quicker you know what if my dad in 1971 was reading about something that's going on in Hawaii, you know, like it wasn't easy to get there. It wasn't. Yeah, he couldn't see exactly what was going on. You know, you he kind of like, like go there. you had to like understand by words a little bit. Yeah. Or you had heard, oh, there's a really cool restaurant that opened in Kansas City. Like either you went there or you didn't, but you didn't have like some great. Right. Yeah, you didn't visual, have a 30 second like, reel. <laughs> you know, I can, even though I just went to Bangkok, I probably could understand Bangkok from photos. Yeah. Uh, without going there. Now, I still think that there's so much importance of doing things in person and you see so much different stuff, but it's, um, ideas travel a lot faster. Yeah. All right. Last two questions. Cause we're out of time. Something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you. We are victim of this in our own places as well. Sometimes the time from the time you ask to get the check to the time you get it or pay when it's really long is very annoying to me. I totally yeah. agree. And I'm, perplexed that that hasn't come up before <laughs> yeah that has not come up yeah, yeah. always something it's new. like when i'm telling you i want to leave yeah. that is that is uh, when you're in another country expect it but you know oh yeah when you get yeah. to europe you just might as well I, I went there with my dad to london last year and he hasn't been to europe in a while and i'm like he's like what's going on here you know just that anxiousness <laughs> yeah. i'm like you know when you get to europe you just have to expect yeah that it yeah, is going to be 20 percent longer yeah like, i don't i can't <laughs> yeah, you just like, have let's to get out of here. You're like, we can't. Yeah. Well, uh, we need the check. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get it eventually. No, but that, I, I mean, great service to me isn't, a, a lot of people talk about, you serve on the left, you do this, you know, there's, there's these like appropriate steps of service. But amazing service is giving someone what they want when they needed it. Right. Yeah. Like, and getting it to them quickly. Uh, where did I, I went to somewhere? It was not one of our restaurants, thankfully. <laughs> and I wanted, um, you know, can I get a side of, it was ketchup or something like that with, or like some dip for yeah. the dish I had. Well, it took so long. You'd eat, yeah. I ate the whole thing. And then, they, then someone brought it at the end and left it on the table. So it's like, you didn't even know what I wanted it for. Yeah. That's like, nice. I, it was like, I, it was like ranch dressing for pizza or something like that. Yeah, it, yeah. it was something silly but it came after we ate the pizza and then they still put on the table so now <laughs> yeah. we had we had an empty pizza tray <laughs> with, a with a dressing and they just drink this up. yeah would you yeah. like it to go box for your, yeah. for your white soup? i mean truly yeah. the pizza had been fully consumed <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so it just felt like that's not great service mm-hmm. you know i um and maybe the guy was really busy i you know i didn't yeah, yeah. i wasn't super annoyed but 
you yeah, ask for the annoying. check and you want to go and it takes 20 minutes, like that is frustrating. And for sure, there's certainly technology that is probably going to make that easier, whether it's QR codes on right. checks. You know, they have their own problems, though. I think when mm-hmm. you have that, you have people walking out. So yep. I don't know. I don't know what the exact answer is. Yeah. And then our last question, what is the best thing about Chicago's dining scene? I think the best thing is how much people in the industry actually get along. Um, and there's so many great choices. Yeah. I, I see so little of it, it's actually embarrassing. Um, <laughs> we, I have my own places to go to, have a family, so it's just like my ability to see the city is, is lower. I, I, I think I said this earlier, but I get to see other cities, I feel like, more, more yeah. than I do even my own city. But yeah. um, there's really amazing stuff going on here. Cool. Good answer. And amazing people. Also, I, there, is a, there is something special about the Midwest. People are nicer here. I don't care what anyone says. They are nicer than they are in L.A. They are nicer and more polite than they are in New York. And that makes a huge difference in hospitality. Mm-hmm. Totally. And yeah. people in Michigan are like, people in Chicago are such jerks. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> It's all relative. Yeah, it is relative, relative, but yeah. I, I think everyone here is, I think this is really a hardworking, kind place in general. Nice Agreed. All right. Well, that was the last question. So that's a wrap on RJ. Yeah. Thank you you so much. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And that concludes our conversation with RJ Melman of Let Us Entertain You. Thanks for listening. And remember to check us out at Joiners Pod on Instagram for additional content. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and video content by Joe Guzzo. We'll see you next week.